Specific Aspects According to the Supreme Court, the Eighth Amendment forbids some punishments entirely, and forbids some other punishments that are excessive when compared to the crime, or compared to the competence of the perpetrator. This will be discussed in the sections below. Punishments forbidden regardless of the crime. In Wilkerson v. Utah, 1878, the Supreme Court commented that drawing and quartering, public dissection, burning alive, or disembowelment constituted cruel and unusual punishment. Relying on Eighth Amendment case law Justice William O. Douglas stated in his Robinson v. California, 1962, concurrence opinion that historic punishments that were cruel and unusual included burning at the stake, crucifixion, breaking on the wheel, in Kemmler, quartering, the rack and thumbscrew, and, in some circumstances, even solitary confinement. In Thompson v. Oklahoma, 1988, the Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty constituted cruel and unusual punishment if the defendant is under age 16 when the crime was committed. Furthermore, in Roper v. Simmons, 2005, the court barred the executing of people who were under age 18 when the crime was committed. In Atkins v. Virginia, 2002, the court declared that executing people who are mentally handicapped constituted cruel and unusual punishment. Punishments forbidden for certain crimes. The case of Weems v. United States, 1910, marked the first time the Supreme Court exercised judicial review to overturn a criminal sentence as cruel and unusual. The court overturned a punishment called cadena temporal, which mandated hard and painful labor shackling for the duration of incarceration and permanent civil disabilities. This case is often viewed as establishing a principle of proportionality under the Eighth Amendment. However, others have written that it is hard to view Weems as announcing a constitutional requirement of proportionality. In Trove v. Dulles, 1958, the Supreme Court held that punishing a natural-born citizen for a crime by revoking his citizenship is unconstitutional, being more primitive than torture because it involved the total destruction of the individual's status in organized society. In Robinson v. California, 1962, the court decided a California law authorizing a 90-day jail sentence for be addicted to the use of narcotics violated the Eighth Amendment, as narcotics addiction is apparently an illness, and California was attempting to punish people based on the state of this illness, rather than for any specific act. The court wrote. To be sure, imprisonment for 90 days is not, in the abstract, a punishment which is either cruel or unusual. But the question cannot be considered in the abstract. Even one day in prison would be a cruel and unusual punishment for the crime of having a common cold. However, in Powell v. Texas, 1968, the court upheld a statute barring public intoxication by distinguishing Robinson on the basis that Powell dealt with a person who was drunk in public, not merely for being addicted to alcohol. Traditionally, the length of a prison sentence was not subject to scrutiny under the Eighth Amendment, regardless of the crime for which the sentence was imposed. It was not until the case of Solemn v. Helm, 1983, that the Supreme Court held that incarceration, standing alone, could constitute cruel and unusual punishment if it were disproportionate in duration to the offense. The court outlined three factors that were to be considered in determining if a sentence is excessive, i, the gravity of the offense and the harshness of the penalty, 2, the sentences imposed on other criminals in the same jurisdiction, and 3, the sentences imposed for commission of the same crime in other jurisdictions. The court held that in the circumstances of the case before it and the factors to consider, a sentence of life imprisonment without parole for cashing a $100 check on a closed account was cruel and unusual. However, in Harmelin v. Michigan, 1991, a fractured court retreated from the solemn test and held that for non-capital sentences, the Eighth Amendment constrains only the length of prison terms by a gross disproportionality principle. Under this principle, 
the court sustained a mandatory sentence of life without parole imposed for possession of 672 grams, 1.5 pounds, or more of cocaine. The court acknowledged that a punishment could be cruel but not unusual, and therefore not prohibited by the Constitution. Additionally, in Harmelin, Justice Scalia, joined by Chief Justice Rehnquist, said the Eighth Amendment contains no proportionality guarantee, and that what was cruel and unusual under the Eighth Amendment was to be determined without reference to the particular offense. Scalia wrote of cruel and unusual punishments included disproportionate punishments, the separate prohibition of disproportionate fines, which are certainly punishments, would have been entirely superfluous. Moreover, there is little doubt that those who framed, proposed, and ratified the Bill of Rights were aware of such provisions, yet chose not to replicate them. In Graham v. Florida, 2010, the Supreme Court declared that a life sentence without any chance of parole, for a crime other than murder, is cruel and unusual punishment for a minor. Two years later, in Miller v. Alabama, 2012, the court went further, holding that mandatory life sentences without parole cannot be imposed on minors, even for homicide. Death penalty for rape. In Coker v. Georgia, 1977, the court declared that the death penalty was unconstitutionally excessive for rape of a woman and, by implication, for any crime where a death does not occur. The majority in Coker stated that death is indeed a disproportionate penalty for the crime of raping an adult woman. The dissent countered that the majority takes too little account of the profound suffering the crime imposes upon the victims and their loved ones. The dissent also characterized the majority as myopic for considering legal history of only the past five years. In Kennedy v. Louisiana, 2008, the court extended the reasoning of Coker by ruling that the death penalty was excessive for child rape where the victim's life was not taken. The Supreme Court failed to note a federal law, which applies to military court-martial proceedings, providing for the death penalty in cases of child rape. On October 1, 2008, the court declined to reconsider its opinion in this case, but did amend the majority and dissenting opinions to acknowledge that federal law. Justice Scalia, joined by Chief Justice Roberts, wrote in dissent that the proposed Eighth Amendment would have been laughed to scorn if it had read no criminal penalty shall be imposed which the Supreme Court deems unacceptable. Special Procedures for Death Penalty Cases The Supreme Court in Bucklew v. Presythe, 2019, explicitly said, the Constitution allows capital punishment. Nor did the later edition of the Eighth Amendment outlaw the practice. While the Eighth Amendment doesn't forbid capital punishment, it does speak to how states may carry out that punishment, prohibiting methods that are cruel and unusual. The Supreme Court also held in Bucklew that the Due Process Clause expressly allows the death penalty in the United States because the Fifth Amendment, added to the Constitution at the same time as the Eighth, expressly contemplates that a defendant may be tried for a capital crime and deprived of life as a penalty, so long as proper procedures are followed. The first significant general challenge to capital punishment that reached the Supreme Court was the case of Furman v. Georgia, 1972. The Supreme Court overturned the death sentences of Furman for murder, as well as two other defendants for rape. Of the five justices voting to overturn the death penalty, two found that capital punishment was unconstitutionally cruel and unusual, while three found that the statutes at issue were implemented in a random and capricious fashion, discriminating against blacks and the poor. Furman v. Georgia did not hold, even though it is sometimes claimed that it did, that capital punishment is per se unconstitutional. States with capital punishment rewrote their laws to address the Supreme Court's decision, and the court then revisited the issue in a murder case, Gregg v. Georgia, 1976. In Gregg, the court ruled that Georgia's revised death penalty laws passed Eighth Amendment scrutiny, the statutes provided a bifurcated trial in which guilt and sentence were determined separately, 
and this statutes provided for specific jury findings followed by state Supreme Court review comparing each death sentence with the sentences imposed on similarly situated defendants to ensure that the sentence of death in a particular case is not disproportionate. Because of the Gregg decision, executions resumed in 1977. Some states have passed laws imposing mandatory death penalties in certain cases. The Supreme Court found these laws unconstitutional under the Eighth Amendment, in the murder case of Woodson v. North Carolina, 1976, because these laws removed discretion from the trial judge to make an individualized determination in each case. Other statutes specifying factors for courts to use in making their decisions have been upheld. Some have not. In Godfrey v. Georgia, 1980, the Supreme Court overturned a sentence based upon a finding that a murder was outrageously or wantonly vile, horrible, and inhuman, as it deemed that any murder may be reasonably characterized in this manner. Similarly, in Maynard v. Cartwright, 1988, the court found that an especially heinous, atrocious or cruel standard in a homicide case was too vague. However, the meaning of this language depends on how lower courts interpret it. In Walton v. Arizona, 1990, the court found that the phrase especially heinous, cruel, or depraved was not vague in a murder case, because the state Supreme Court had expounded on its meaning. The court has generally held that death penalty cases require extra procedural protections. As the court said in Herrera v. Collins, 1993, which involved the murder of a police officer, the Eighth Amendment requires increased reliability of the process, punishment specifically allowed. In Wilkerson v. Utah, 1878, the court stated that death by firing squad is not cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. In Rummel v. Estelle, 1980, the court upheld a life sentence with the possibility of parole imposed per Texas's three strikes law for fraud crimes totaling $230. A few months later, Rummel challenged his sentence for ineffective assistance of counsel, his appeal was upheld, and as part of a plea bargain Rummel pled guilty to theft and was released for time served. In Harmelin v. Michigan, 1991, the court upheld a life sentence without the possibility of parole for possession of 672 grams, 1.5 pounds, of cocaine. In Lockyer v. Andrade, 2003, the court upheld a 50 years to life sentence with the possibility of parole imposed under California's three strikes law when the defendant was convicted of shoplifting videotapes worth a total of about $150. In Bayes v. Reese, 2008, the court upheld Kentucky's execution protocol using a three-drug cocktail. In Glossop v. Gross, 2015, the court upheld the use of lethal injections using the drug midazolam. In Bucklew v. Presythe, 2019, the court ruled that when a convict sentenced to death challenges the state's method of execution due to claims of excessive pain, the convict must show that other alternative methods of execution exist and clearly demonstrate they would cause less pain than the state determined one. The Supreme Court also held in Bucklew that the Due Process Clause expressly allows the death penalty in the United States because the Fifth Amendment, added to the Constitution at the same time as the Eighth, expressly contemplates that a defendant may be tried for a capital crime and deprived of life as a penalty so long as proper procedures are followed. The court also explicitly said, the Constitution allows capital punishment. Nor did the later edition of the Eighth Amendment outlaw the practice. Of course, that doesn't mean the American people must continue to use the death penalty. The same Constitution that permits states to authorize capital punishment also allows them to outlaw it. But it does mean that the judiciary bears no license to end a debate reserved for the people and their representatives. While the Eighth Amendment doesn't forbid capital punishment, it does speak to how states may carry out that punishment, prohibiting methods that are cruel and unusual. Evolving Standards of Decency In Trove v. Dulles, 1958, Chief Justice Earl Warren said, 
the amendment must draw its meaning from the evolving standards of decency that mark the progress of a maturing society. Subsequently, the court has looked to societal developments, as well as looking to its own independent judgment, in determining what are those evolving standards of decency. In Kennedy v. Louisiana, 2008, the Supreme Court stated, evolving standards of decency must embrace and express respect for the dignity of the person, and the punishment of criminals must conform to that rule. Originalists, like Justice Antonin Scalia, argue that societies may rot instead of maturing and may decrease in virtue or wisdom instead of increasing. Thus, they say, the framers wanted the amendment understood as it was written and ratified, instead of morphing as times change, and in any event legislators are more competent than judges to take the pulse of the public as to changing standards of decency. The evolving standards test has been subject to scholarly criticism. For example, law professor John Stinford asserts that the evolving standards test misinterprets the Eighth Amendment. The framers of the Bill of Rights understood the word unusual to mean contrary to long usage. Recognition of the word's original meaning will precisely invert the evolving standards of decency test, and ask the court to compare challenged punishments with the long-standing principles and precedents of the common law, rather than shifting in nebulous notions of societal consensus and contemporary standards of decency. On the other hand, law professor Dennis Baker defends the evolving standards of decency test as advancing the moral purpose of the Eighth Amendment to ban the inflicting of unjust, oppressive, or disproportional punishments by a state on its citizens. Proportionality. The Supreme Court has applied evolving standards not only to say what punishments are inherently cruel, but also to say what punishments that are not inherently cruel are nevertheless grossly disproportionate to the offense in question. An example can be seen in Jackson v. Bishop, 8th Sir, 1968, an 8th Circuit decision outlawing corporal punishment in the Arkansas prison system. The scope of the amendment is not static, its proportion, both among punishments and between punishment and crime, is a factor to be considered relying on and citing its early cases O'Neill v. Vermont, 1892, and Weems v. United States, 1910, the Supreme Court concluded in Inman v. Florida, 1982, that the cruel and unusual punishments clause is partly a prohibition of all punishments which, by their excessive length or severity, are greatly disproportioned to the offenses charged. Law professor John Stinford asserts that the Eighth Amendment forbids punishments that are very disproportionate to the offense, even if the punishment by itself is not intrinsically barbaric, but he argues that proportionality is to be measured primarily in terms of prior practice according to the word unusual in the amendment, instead of being measured according to shifting and nebulous evolving standards. Stinford argues that the word unusual in the Eighth Amendment has a very different meaning in comparison to those who use originalism to interpret the U.S. Constitution. He writes, but in reality, the word unusual in the Eighth Amendment did not originally mean rare, it meant contrary to long usage, or new. A punishment is cruel and unusual if it is cruel in light of long usage, that is, cruel in comparison to long-standing prior practice or tradition. Similarly, law professor John Bessler points to an essay on crimes and punishments, written by Cesar Beccaria in the 1760s, which advocated proportionate punishments. Many of the founding fathers, including Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, read Beccaria's treatise and were influenced by it. Thus, Stinford and Bessler disagree with the view of Justice Scalia, joined by Chief Justice Rehnquist, in Harmelin v. Michigan where they denied that the Punishments Clause contains any proportionality principle. With Scalia and Rehnquist, Richard Epstein argues that the amendment does not refer broadly to the imposition of penalties, but rather refers more narrowly to the penalties themselves. Epstein says judges who favor the broad view tend to omit the letter S at the end of the word punishments. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license.
the written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.